Frank, it is the very last podcast of 2019. We made it another year. Oh, geez. Is it tax season already? Am I supposed to be doing tax? Oh, God, I hate the end of the year. I always feel like I'm forgetting something. Like, I feel like I'm skipping emails. It's my CPA emailing me. It's the insurance dudes emailing me. Oh, I hate the end of the year. But congratulations. Yes, we've made it. Just a day or so to go. <laughs> it's a big year. I mean, I got married this year. That happened. Woo! Woo! Does the clock tell you you've been married this year? Or is the clock dead? The clock is sitting literally in front of me right now because Woo! the battery died. Four months, 5.2 days. Boom. Congratulations. Happened. Four months. It's a long yes. time. Well, that's a pretty big event. What else happened in 2019? I didn't mean to roll over your marriage that quickly. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> what else, though, James? What else? Is, is that it? Is that all you got for 2019? Um, I think I think that might be it. <laughs> that, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm really looking forward to 2020, to be honest with you. Um, oh, OK. Um, but yeah, I mean, we hit some major milestones in the pod. I'm, this isn't going to be a recap of of the whole thing. But this is episode 182, which is Wait, pretty I, spectacular. I, I, I thought we were going to do a clip show. You told me you were going to edit together a very complex three-hour-long clip show. I mean, no. are we doing a Star Wars holiday special then? No, no, no. Oh. We're not doing that. No, we're not doing any of that. What we actually have in store is not a stats show, not a 2019 recap. What we're doing today is something Frank has no idea what we're talking about, by the way. Because when we this is went so in, scary. <laughs> when we go into podcasts, sometimes I'm just like, I got a topic, Go. And that's what's happening this week, Frank. It is IoT 101. What? Okay. I feel like we've talked about IoT. Can we call it 102? <laughs> now, I'm being a I'm gonna, But this is going to be even more specific on the IoT. This is going to be IoT programming 101. All right. All right. I can do this. I can roll. I think I remember the basics. You're not supposed to forget the basics. So yeah, let's do it. So can we hook it up to Alexa? Is that covered in the 101 class? Can you give me the full syllabus? <laughs> well, I want to specifically talk about what we can do at home as developers with hardware. So I don't want to talk about the consumer level stuff, which we've talked about in depth before. I want to talk about the, the boards that we can buy how you get started and what it actually means. Like, what are they? And here's the setup, Frank. I decided that last week I was going to do a little holiday hacking. You know, my holiday mm -hmm. hacks. I've been looking forward to hearing how all that went. So let's hear it. So I don't want to go too in depth, but here's the, the starting point that led to this conversation today is I busted open my meadow board, which is uh, uh, from Wilderness Labs. It runs.net. And I started playing around with stuff and I wanted to blink some LEDs. So I blinked the LED on the board, which is, yeah, I did it. And I go, okay, I'm going to, you know, put my breadboard over here and I'm going to start to put stuff together. And someone said, doesn't look like your header pins are connected. And I go, what, what, what are header pins? And, and then I said, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take the wires and the grounds. And I'll just, you know, put them in the holes and, and, and nothing worked, Frank. Um, Someone said I needed to do something called soldering. Um, Ooh, apparently, I've heard of that one. Put put the put the you know put the you know the ground wire into the hole and and put it into the the hole in the breadboard and that should should work and 
And then someone said, someone was asking me like, what are these boards? And I'm like, you, I'm the worst person to ask about these boards, right? I don't know what a header pin <laughs> is. I don't know. I don't have a, I don't even have a soldering gun. Um, and I don't know. I don't know anything between a ground and a not ground. And like, there's like, I'm looking at all the things in this pro hat kit that I have and I needed, I don't know, some, oh, I'm going to look it up this hackster. I mean, let me go to the wilderness labs getting started. And like, literally I was getting started and let me see what I needed here. Assemble hello meadow. So there was, oh geez, I'm, I'm the worst at doing this really quick. Let me find this thing. <laughs> There's literally a thing that's like, I need, um, another wire and it has a little thing with a bunch of like colors on it, like a reactor, re receptor, a re probably a resistor. I'm resistor. Guessing. There we go. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm like, mm -hmm. and then someone's like, so I'm putting this stuff together and someone was like, what is this thing? Is this a raspberry Pi competitor? Like, is it this thing? Like what, oh, what, what CPU is it running? I was like, I, I don't know. And then someone's like, it's not, like, so all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm in this world where I'm actually building and blinking lights, but I didn't really fundamentally realize like what the difference between like a raspberry Pi is and an Arduino or Netduino and what a microcontroller was. And that's the, uh, this is the one one stuff that I actually need broken down. Does this make sense where I'm coming from now? Frank? Yeah, man, I am going to give you an electrical engineering degree, <laughs> a four year degree in one episode. This is so going to happen. I love it. We're doing this, man, where you are so going here. But I, I think it's, it's anytime you want to make things sound easy and I'm always doing this. I'm like, yeah, IOT, you just go get this thing. You, you write your C sharp codes. It's easy. You'll be running right away. And what I actually mean is, yeah, you'll be blinking in LED right away, but we've just opened the door. Actually, that's a bad analogy. We just fell down a rabbit hole, <laughs> a very, very deep rabbit hole, one in which people get degrees to learn all this stuff and learn how it works and get comfortable with it. But the good news is um, it's all learnable. I do think it is actually easy, but it is a lot of concepts, a lot of capitalized nouns to learn, proper nouns to learn, uh, differentiations, because people love to compare and contrast. So all these questions people are asking you are pretty irrelevant. Like, what, what microprocessor are you using? Mm. Who cares? Mm. It's 2019. Who cares? Um, whichever one works is what the answer is always there. Um, but yeah, we can definitely go over all this stuff and I can do my best to answer whatever questions came up during it all. Perfect. Well, let's start in the very, very start. What is the difference between a microprocessor and something that's not a micro, not a microprocessor, <laughs> sorry, uh, a, what did I just say it was? Microcontroller is probably um, the word you're going for. Yeah. What is the difference between a microcontroller and not a microcontroller? <laughs> Well, oddly enough, we should start with the microprocessor because <laughs> that is a, actually a great place to start. So your microprocessor is your CPU, your central processing unit. It's what we're all really programming. But as we all know, programming is pretty boring without data or places to put data or things to do with data or LEDs to blink. And so microprocessors are your computing device. They're your programming de device, but they're kind of boring <laughs> because they're their own world. There's no way to interact with the outside world. And so you start adding peripherals to it, but these are peripherals that are still 
on the die. It's still in the silicon. It's still technically on the chip. But it's a, there are additions to the chip. And we call these microcontrollers. And that just means we're adding stuff to them. So what kind of stuff do you add? You add timers, because timers are just useful to not have to do like loops in your code, but to have hardware kicking off a timer for you. You might have a memory manager, something to interface with a whole bucket of RAM. You might have a hard drive controller, or these days you would use um, an SD card and uh, what are they called even? Secure digital, I guess. (laughs) So so you might have an SD card uh, peripheral, but these are all on the chip. And that's why we call microcontrollers, because it's a microprocessor plus a bunch of stuff. Now, just to add a tiny bit of confusion to all that, today we have something even more advanced called a system on a chip. Mm. And that's the same concept of a microcontroller. We're starting with a microprocessor and throwing more stuff on it. But a system on a chip just includes so much stuff that it's basically a motherboard from an old PC all on this one single chip. So it's just varying degrees of what's included in the silicon. I see. I see. Gotcha. Now, from my understanding here, the the metaboard, which is, which is my holiday hack, that is a microcontroller, but a Raspberry Pi is not a microcontroller? Yeah. Um, so a Raspberry Pi would be a system on a chip, which is essentially the same technology used in iPhones and Android devices. This is all commoditized mobile hardware mm. uh, being commoditized and therefore cheap, and therefore we're finding new applications for them. The IoT revolution would never have happened without the mobile revolution first, because it created these amazing even more advanced than a microcontroller chip system on chips that include Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all that junk, (laughs) all that internet junk. (laughs) Got it. Um, The difference though, and this is an important difference, is power. So nothing is free. So the more you add to chips, the more power they take. And so if you are building a battery-powered device when you are an embedded engineer, that's what we call the old IoT people, we call ourselves embedded engineers, you are always trying to find the slowest, dumbest, cheapest microcontroller that satisfies your requirements because power is what's important. If I want this to run on two AA batteries, I just, I need a slow chip. It's as simple as that. I can't be running Wi-Fi. It's going to kill the batteries. And so you're always playing this game of um, power. Unless you plug it into the wall, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> Got it. This makes sense. So the 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 chip that you put inside the heart, the the count up heart, that is the it starts with an E, right? It's a thirty two. There's a thirty two or something in there. Uh, an SB thirty two. Are you talking about that chip? I think so. Is that what you put inside this thing? Anniversary heart. Ah, uh, inside the heart is the ESP thirty two. Got it. I was which, right. Yes, you were right which is, I would technically call it a microcontroller, but gosh, it's really leaning into the system on a chip world. And so it's a, I don't even know which one I would call it because it's finding a weird in-between area where it doesn't require as much power as a traditional SOC, but at the same time is offering a lot of interesting, specifically radio features that microcontrollers traditionally haven't had. It's a great little chip. Love that chip. The metal board, in fact, includes one. On the metal board is a CPU, uh, a microcontroller, 
plus an additional chip, which is the SP, in order to do its Wi-Fi communications. So the metal board has both worlds. <laughs> oh, I see. Got it. Now, regardless if it's a microcontroller or system on a chip, they have the same concepts, I'm pretty sure, in place, which is that there's a bunch of different analog and digital in-out little holes. That's on it. They're little holes. Little holes. They're little holes. Technical term. (laughs) Technical term. I mean, they literally are little tiny holes that have, um, you know, little copper things on it and, and Mm -hmm. they make, they make connections and, and the connections send something to that chip that it's on or off, I guess. Um, but regardless, I'm assuming you're plugging in these analog and digital in and outs and all these grounds the same, regardless if it's, a Arduino or a Raspberry Pi or a Meadow or a, or a SB32, right? Or no? Yeah. Yep. You got it. Um, one of the great things about living in 2019 is that we're a mostly digital world. And so devices that you would think are analog, let's say um, a temperature sensor, Mm-hmm. You can even buy digital temperature sensors and communicate with them digitally. And in that case, I, it, digital is nice because you just don't have to think very hard in order to use it. You have basically two voltages to think about. Uh, the most important one being ground. You've probably mm. heard of ground. I've heard electrical that, engineers say it. <laughs> yes. If you ground something, that that's I, I don't necessarily know exactly how it works, but that's the thing that makes sure you don't get electrocuted. Right? Mm. That's a or, interesting perspective. I like that. Uh, technically, the word is shocked. Electrocuted means you died, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the thing to make sure you're not shocked or, yeah. right? Yeah. If it's yeah. not grounded, um, then the, the then I, I believe that it is. Here's my analysis of grounded is that the ground, if something shorts, then it goes through the ground and it like, and like, it like absorbs the shock. Else, if it's not grounded, you absorb the shock. I think you should be a professor. You should just open electrical engineering with, here's how not to get shocked. Grounds, people. Grounds. Yeah. Uh, You're right. You're right-ish. Let's skip everything you just said. (laughs) Um, Let me try to give my answer. But the truth is, I think my answer is going to sound so terrible that we'll probably just go back to yours. So Um, voltage is not an absolute value. You can't say, you can't ever say that something is five volts. That's a meaningless term. Mm. All that you can say is that something is five volts higher than something else. Or it's three volts higher than something else, 12 volts higher than something else. And therefore, you need us something else to compare it to. And that's ground. It is nothing more than a symbolic designation we give to a voltage in a system. And that's just to declare we need a measurement reference point, and we call that ground. Now, people have conflated that with lots of things. Um, Ground becomes a return path in a circuit. Therefore, a lot of current goes through it. Therefore, you need big hunks of metal so that you don't accidentally melt things. And therefore, you that has translated into this concept of earth ground, where you stake a pole into the ground to make sure that we can dump all of our energy into the poor earth. You know, it it has a lot of meanings beyond that. But the most important thing, especially when you're working with small electronics like this, is to just know that voltages by themselves are meaningless. 
They need to be compared to things. And so we compare to a thing called ground. And therefore, to make all of our electronics be able to communicate with each other and work with each other, we have to make sure that we put all the grounds together. And that means electrically, physically couple them together so that we make sure that they are all at the same exact voltage. That's ground. That's our reference point for the circuit. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. I am very used to, so I grew up on a farm and we would, we had an electrical fence and I believe you ground the electrical <laughs> fence or something like yeah. that. I believe you do. And I'm very used to a big metal chunk, big metal rod that's in the ground and then it it is against it. I'm, I'm very used to that concept. Yeah, I mean, let's start at the very high level. These things are called circuits. And what's a circuit? It's a circle. So we need to make a loop of something. So if we have something traveling along it, we have to make sure it can get back to where it started. And so we need a designated starting and stopping point, And we call that ground often too. And so you probably use the earth <laughs> just because it's fun, <laughs> stuck a pole into it. And you call that starting and stopping point ground. I don't, I, you can make so much more out of it, but I like to keep it at that general high level because I don't like to, um, give it any mystical meaning. It's really nothing more than that. It's a starting stopping point. It's a connection point in a loop, or it's a reference for other voltages. It's all those things. I guess it is important. <laughs> <laughs> grounding people. It is very important. Um, okay. So, okay. But, um, uh, here, but let's move on from ground because there's another voltage that's important. And that is your circuit is going to be a five volt circuit or a 3.3 volt circuit. We call that TTL circuits. Five volts are TTL circuits. And they're kind of the old-fashioned, we had just invented transistors. We needed a voltage for all transistors to work with. Five volts seemed like a good enough number, so we did it. Um, it's kind of meaningless. It's just historical. Later on, we moved on to better uh, technology for transistors called CMOS technology, and that ran at 3.3 volts. Mm. And so modern circuits, we generally run at 3.3 volts. The only reason this comes up is some boards talk 5 volts and some boards talk 3.3 volts. Uh, generally speaking, don't mix the two. <laughs> Bad <laughs> things happen. But oddly enough, uh, some CMOS technology is good enough. It can actually handle 5 volts. But it's something to definitely look, look out for if you're picking a board or if you've already picked a board, find out what your board does. And when you're buying sensors and other things, just keep that in mind that you are a this voltage system, 3 volt or 5 volt, whatever it I takes. See. And on the meadow board, I was specifically connecting a ground from the board to the breadboard. And we can describe the breadboard in a little bit because I actually want to step back a little bit into how this thing works. But to, to get off the grounding and the voltage on there, there was a, a 3.3V 3, 3 and a 5V. And I connected the 3.3 and the ground, which are very close together um, on one board when I started to try to blink an LED. But I think the before I even got to that concept, I wasn't connecting any wires. I was just con controlling things on the board because every little IoT anything has a little indicator light and you always got to blink that thing. But I want to understand one thing in the microcontroller versus system on a chip is I was taking file new and deploying the code. Now, between a system on a chip and a microcontroller, how are they executing 
the thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's a deliverable, but underlying technology, how does that work? Because they have to be fundamentally different, I assume. Oddly enough, they're similar, um, but there is one big distinction that we'll make. Um, And that actually lies with the operating system. On a microcontroller, generally because they're smaller and generally because you only ever did one task on them, you like your code was pretty simple. And did I mention memory controllers yet? Uh, They usually didn't have a lot of memory access. people didn't really use operating systems. <laughs> no need for them. We don't need no DOS. We don't need no Linux. Yeah. Not needed. Um, of course, you end up needing a few features from operating systems. So you develop these like tiny micro operating systems. There's literally one called micro OS that a lot of people use. And that, in fact, is the operating system that your metal board is running. Now, your metal board is special because that can run C-sharp code. And for that, it needs the .NET runtime. And I believe it's using Mono. My my knowledge could be off here. But it has a very minimal, tiny operating system, uh, micro OS, plus the Mono runtime in order to execute your code. So that that part makes sense, probably, hopefully. (laughs) That makes sense to me. And you have talked about the micro OS in the past on a podcast, I'm pretty sure. We looked it up, yep. Yep, it's it's just a little little OS, <laughs> small. That's that's the whole point. Now, system on a chips tend to be bigger and using a lot of power anyway, so people can get away with running, say, Linux on them. And so, if you were doing a Raspberry Pi, which is a system on a chip, you'll probably just end up running Linux on it. Uh, there's versions of Windows that can also run it. Windows 10 runs beautifully on a system on a chip. So you can actually run a full-fledged desktop operating system on those. The problem is you're using uh, one, one amp a current. You're, you're just using a lot of power to run those operating systems. Whereas the microcontrollers, uh, just a lot less power. Always comes back to power. Got it. So when we're thinking microcontrollers, usually for most intents and purposes, it is a lower power consumption, more pluggable architecture, even though the system on a chip usually is pluggable as well, but they are normally not bound to being the go-to. They're usually not the go-to for the lowest power consumption type of thing that you're, you're trying to work on. Especially when you're talking about real manufacturing. When I'm an actual supplier actually trying to create a device, I am cutting every penny along the uh, whatever, <laughs> the, what you know, the purchase order chain of everything. And so I'm going to use the slowest, <laughs> cheapest chip I can get out there. And so while system on chips are delightful to work on, because <laughs> like you're in Linux and you can use, you know, VS Code if you want to even, uh, it's a great development experience. You would never sell a device actually using one of those chips. <laughs> it's mm. just stupid. It's too expensive. It's wasting way too much power. So you would develop on it and ship on a much simpler chip. Or you would maybe charge $2,000 for the device. You know, you're not going to make a low-cost device running a system on a chip. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So the next thing that I did here, now that we have the basics out of the way, this is, this is really good understanding to me because... I didn't quite understand the question. People are like, oh, is this a competitor to this or is it this? I'm like, I mean, I don't really know 
anything about the other boards because <laughs> I didn't really know. And like, there's here's a chart on the website, but it, you know, I, I, you know, I had a lot of people in the chat. Anybody that was in the chat was super amazing and really helped out because um, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, all right. So you get this board. I got this board. Wait, wait. Plug me, it let, in. Let me interrupt you real quick. Uh, is your is this video? Uh, can I can I see it after the fact? Is it still up? You'll give links to it. Good. Okay. Yeah, I'll put links. I'll export it to my YouTube, so I'll make sure it's it's there in the YouTube in, in the morning too. I'll put it in. I'll put it in the show notes too, so right. you can see it. Um. Okay. So you, I get this thing and I go through the code, right? And I start to blink a light, right? So I have a digital output port, right? On the on the board, there's a red LED and a blue LED and a green LED. Yeah. Yeah. Except an LED is still kind of an analog device and you have to manage the amount of current going through it. And that's probably why you had to use a resistor. What a resistor does is limits the amount of current that can travel through a path and current, you know, electricity is broken into two things, voltage and current. One is potential energy. The other one is kind of a kinetic energy. Uh, It doesn't really, um, (laughs) it it matters so much (laughs) that you have to go to college for four years to learn about it. But when you're just doing um, digital stuff, generally, you don't have to worry too much about it. It's only when you're dealing with motors and other crazy analog things, which unfortunately LEDs fall under. So you usually end up having to throw a resistor in there to decrease the current. Yeah, because I I first, okay, so I first started the, I first started doing it um, with just on the board and I, and I blinked the light, I followed the tutorial and then it got to this point where you're saying, which is, I wanted to, I have a physical LED. So I, just, I linked, I sent a link to the Hackster.io one here. So I needed my board. I needed a generic LED. I needed a breadboard. I needed jumper wires and I needed a resistor 220 ohm. That's what I said that I need. And trying to find what the resistor 220 ohm is <laughs> when you don't know what a resistor 220 ohm is, is very complicated, by the way. I'm so sorry, James. Um, so let me interrupt right now. Okay. Uh, on all resistors is a color coding that some people learn. I, I consider them geniuses or idiots. I don't know which one I consider them. It's one or the other geniuses. Let's go with geniuses because I have been doing electronics my whole life and I cannot keep that color code straight in my head. I learn it, then I forget it. Then I learn it, then I forget it. Um, I, I know some general rules. Like if I see brown, it's usually what I want. <laughs> so you, you learn terrible little shortcuts like that. Um, but don't worry. Um, it's a little bit of a hazing process, unfortunately, in the electronics world of discovering resistors. You know, other electronic components have their values printed on them in things called numerals and digits, a, a, a method that humans can use to read numbers. But resistors, unfortunately, use a color code because, you know, they hate us. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, um, yeah, so I, I I probably picked out the wrong one. The chat said that it was the correct one. But so I, start, I started. So I started putting ohms. OK, and sorry, I, I just want to interrupt together. one more time. If, if you're out there doing this LED thing, um, the resistor, you're not going to hurt anything. 
most likely. So it's very safe to try out different resistor values. And okay. all you're en- going to end up changing is the brightness of the LED because you're oh. allowing more or less current through the device. That's all it is. And so you're, you're pretty safe to actually just fool around, <laughs> see which one works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That, that That's fascinating. Um... Yeah. Just don't avoid the one ohm resistor, but never touch that one anyway, and you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I told everyone on the stream too. I said I'm, I need to have Frank over here, and we need to be <laughs> streaming sorry. side by side so he can show me how to do this. So I I set up this board and I sent you a link so you can see the assemble the circuit. It's very easy. It's taken ohm, put it from DO one the the digital output one, and put it into the breadboard. Put the LED in there, and it, and it should just kind of work. And and of course mine didn't work, <laughs> um, but that I believe is because I didn't have this header board thing on here and i just started to like loop the cords and cables like why yeah can you can you can you explain there's holes but then yeah. i gotta solder stuff and why don't what how does a circuit happen frank yeah why, and <laughs> why sorry, didn't James. it work i'm why sorry didn't it work on behalf of all electrical engineers i'm sorry <laughs> this is our bad our bad um <laughs> Okay, um, you, you discovered uh, electrical engineers' one fatal flaw. We like to make everything configurable because who knows what you want to do with that. So why should I force you into any one decision? I'm going to make that port configurable. And what I mean by configurable is I'm going to leave it blank and let you figure out what to do with it. And yeah, it's it's tricky. Um so you had a board with, it's just going to have holes and you're going to see a bit of copper around them. And I guess you were just kind of like, <laughs> I don't even know what you were doing, but I can guess like just kind of bending the wire into it or something. It's just that really exactly cute. what I did. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. Oh, that must have been frustrating. Was it? <laughs> was it? Um, <laughs> was it <laughs> you're correct. <laughs> Was it a single conductor wire or, um, or uh, geez, I'm, my words are missing, but, uh, you know, lots of little wires or a single thick wire? A, a single thick, a, okay. a single small tiny wire. It was very okay. thin. Very good. Very good. Okay. So what sh- what could you do? Um, if you have a soldering, if you have a soldering iron, <laughs> that's a terrible way to start. You don't have a soldering iron, do you, James? No, I do not. No, no. So what should happen is you should order one of these boards with headers pre-soldered on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Lots of options here. Lots of options. Number one, go buy a soldering iron. They're $10. It's a life skill. You should have this life skill. Who knows if like the so- zombie invasion happens and you're going to be the last person left and you have to solder two wires together to make electricity happen again to save a neighborhood from the zombie invasion. It's an important life skill. You should just learn how to solder. But instead, um, we actually have a lot of uh, cables called jumper cables, and they come in many different forms. Alligator ends, banana ends, antelope ends, pomegranate ends. Some of those are true. Some of those are false. And they have tricky little ways of connecting into those empty little holes. Uh, So you can get fancy little connectors to connect into those little holes. So let's say you don't have a soldering iron, you don't have headers, you don't have the fancy clips. Um, I would recommend 
Um, hmm, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of stuck. What did you end up doing? Uh, so what I ended up attempting to do, uh, because one to put the header board on because it comes with those nice little jumper thingies, and I didn't have any alligators either. That was the next thing. <laughs> um, because my the reason why this didn't work right is because when you solder the header on, which gives them, it's like a nice little racket to, to that makes the connections to the copper for you. So the solder makes sure the connections all happen and the, it's a close, it closes the circuit, right? It makes the circuit happen. And, um, so what I did is I, I just attempted to make all the little wires go in and I looped them around. And my analysis would be that the circuit was loose and it yeah. wasn't it, it nothing it wasn't going to happen so i gave up basically i said oh. you know what i feel like there's nothing i can do right i don't have any of the things that i actually need and it's actually a shame that the headers and in fact i wasn't the only one there's about four people on the stream that said i got my board and i had to put it away and i haven't opened it yet because i need a soldering iron to put the header on and the yeah. header wasn't there so I need to tell Brian, hey, Brian, why don't you yeah. have an option to put the header on? Um, but regardless, I should have a soldering iron. You're right. I don't know where to store it, but I should. <laughs> so I gave up on it. But um, am, am I correct in, in the analysis of that's why it didn't work? Most likely, yes. It's uh, <clears throat> Even if you think you're making that connection well, they're notoriously fickle. And so I'll I'll even do this where I can assure myself I'm pinching it with my little finger and my index finger and I'm holding it against gravity. I'm sure I'm making contact. And then I use a test device and I'm not actually making contact. It's harder to hold a connection than you think. And so I can almost guarantee that's why it wouldn't have been working unless you got like some kind of software error or something like that. But uh, if you had that internal led blinking the one that's already on the board then for sure i can imagine it was just a a poor physical connection and this is this is an issue throughout the uh hobbyist iot world we don't have standard connectors at all anywhere there's no such thing as like a usb connector we use usb but almost always just to sap power from a computer to come or communicate with a computer we don't have any good interconnects or anything like that. Now you can imagine there are standard interconnects all over the place, but the problem is there's 10,000 standards and everyone uses a different standard. So there are no standards, basically. Every board manufacturer has their same preferred this or that. Uh, this is another obstacle that definitely keeps people out of this world. And yeah, that, that's unfortunate that you ran into that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that once, so tomorrow when I come over and bring my meta board with the headers that came with it and you solder it because you have oh, a soldering. Okay. So now I'm going to have to bring my soldering iron to the office. Okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah, correct. Bring that and some solder. <laughs> got uh, it. <laughs> so the last thing I really want you to do, cause I think this is where I wanted to get to in this one one which was the very, very basics and then get to the point where you're no longer just blinking the board, you're connecting it to the breadboard. I want you to actually explain because I, I don't I did. I plugged all the things in and it didn't work, but had it worked, I wouldn't know why it worked. Yeah. Right. And a link to the the specific, you know, thing on here, the the Hackster I.O., which is like a really cool website. There's a beautiful diagram of here's the board and here is this. Now, you kind of explained the resistor 
in this, but there's few things of how it could work. There's like a digital output, but there's this a pulse wave modulation PWM. I believe that's what mm-hmm. it is perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ports. How, how do, what is a breadboard and, <laughs> and how does, how does it, how does it do things to turn on the light? And, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. <laughs> what is a breadboard? <laughs> What is a breadboard? And how does how does the thing go from the board to the other board and make the thing do the thing? And is there or is there not bread involved? Because I mean, why call it a breadboard? <laughs> is there active yeast? Is it a, a no bake? I don't know. Right. Okay. Breadboard is um a little device that we use to build temporary circuits to play around with circuits. It's a quick way when we don't feel like soldering things or we want to experiment around. It's a device we use to create connections between different components. That's its fundamental job, create connections between different components. How does it manifest itself as a big white hunk of plastic with a billion little holes in it? Yes. <laughs> that are very confusing. <laughs> um, there is... Uh, thought to the madness, design to the whatever, what's that phrase, whatever. Um, the most important thing is to realize that some of those holes are connected to each other and some aren't. Mm. And when you first learn a breadboard, you learn which holes are connected to each other. I don't know if it's going to make good podcasting material for me to <laughs> discuss it, but in general, it works uh, very simply in that rows are connected to each other. And, oh God, I hope I just said that wrong. <laughs> Shoot, let me take that back. This I'm not going to do this because I'm going to mess it all up on a podcast. <laughs> but it's broken up into rows and columns, and they're either connected or not connected. That's the fundamental thing. And so you can use those rows and columns to your advantage when building a temporary circuit. They're quite useful. I use them constantly because, um, yeah, you just don't feel like soldering. It's mostly laziness. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So let me get one thing really out of the way here. So I had an, a generic LED and a generic LED has two prongs. There's a longer prong and a shorter prong. And the longer prong you put into the breadboard and that's the one you connect to the resistor. So, and the other one you connect to a ground. So how, how does the thing, how does the computer, the microcontroller tell the thing to, to turn on the LED. I hope we do this all <laughs> yeah. night. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> we're, we're going all night. This is a 10-hour podcast. Okay. Um, in circuits, you generally have polarity, a direction that you want current to travel. I keep talking in terms of current, but um, you might think instead in terms of voltage. So you would think one side you want to be a higher voltage than the other side. On a car battery, you have a plus and a minus. That's polarity. One of those is a higher voltage than the other. I'll let you guess which one. Plus. Got it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Um, In general, we call those anode and cathode because we like to compete with doctors to see who who knows more Latin. And of course, Mm -hmm. it's engineers. Um, (laughs) so anode would be your positive cathode would be your negative I tell you those just to show off that I have a degree (laughs) 
So an LED is a is an oriented device. Uh, it can it'll only activate in the way that you want it to activate when current is flowing through it in the correct direction. So in this case, it'd be from the plus to the minus, from the anode to the cathode. And so when you put the cathode connected to ground, that was just you guaranteeing that that's going to be the low side thus guaranteeing that the current will flow from the high side to the low side, the direction that you uh, want. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And if, if you, the funny thing about a LED is it actually is a diode. It's a light emitting diode. It doesn't allow current in the other direction. So it's actually a rather safe device. And so you, you can mess up its direction without breaking it. That's what's really nice about them. And so if you ever have an LED that's not working, just pluck it out and turn it around. See if it work, works the other way. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. So I was, so I connected, so I connected a digital output and I said, I have, um, connect, please code. This was the code. It was like create a new LED, but it was basically like, Hey, device board, I'm going to get access to pin D01, which is where the resistor is, which is what you're saying is sending something yeah power Power? voltage let's call it voltage Voltage? for the moment yeah and a digital voltage yeah in yeah to the high side of the led because that's going to be the high side into the high side and 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 when that comes in it it makes the circuit happen and and then it sends the 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 voltage to the to the led yeah and then it stops on the other side Mm-hmm. So to see the circuit in your mind, um, unfortunately, everyone's going to have to go to this website and look at this thing. But you would see the there's a metal board on here with a little chip, STM32F7. That's the microprocessor, uh, the microcontroller, sorry. <laughs> that is going to, when you say digital port, uh, turn on, <laughs> you say true or false usually for setting a port on off, true, false. That will either... Tie that port to ground, that would be your zero, your false value, or it will tie it to a voltage source at three volts, I think in this case, so 3.3 volts. So when you say true, when you say yes, turn that port on, that microcontroller generates three volts at D01. So now you can follow along with your finger. That voltage goes from D01 through the resistor. It drops a little bit because that's what resistors do. Then it enters the LED on the long anode side. That's the high side of the LED. Travels through the LED, through the diode, through the PN junction, down through the cathode of the LED, through a little wire you have tied to ground. That ground goes back to ground on the board. That ground on the board is connected to ground on the microcontroller, that ground is connected to the voltage generator connected to D01. It's a circuit. It's a complete loop. It's a completed circuit. And then when you say off, it, it it's not actually sending none. You're, is it then sending the ground control level or is it actually sending nothing to it? Oh, so that is a very good point because in general, it's going to put it to ground. So if you say zero, it's going to tie to ground. It's not loose. It's tied to ground. It's a, it's a definite voltage. You can compare it against other voltages. That said, you can, in fact, put the port into this is called a tri-state port. You can put it into this open impedance where it, will, um, it won't be driving any voltage on that port. In fact, most of these digital ports can be converted from 
output ports to input ports. And that's something you might do if you have an input port. You don't want to generate a voltage there. Instead, you want to accept a voltage. And so these ports can take on those two different roles. And even within those two different roles, there's even more fancy things you can do with pull-up resistors and pull-down resistors. It's, it's really kind of wild. But going back to basics, <laughs> uh, true and false, put three volts on it, put ground on it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. This so, makes sense. And then you mentioned just one more thing, the PWM. And yes, this is just a very convenient piece of hardware. And all it's doing is turning that port on, off, on, off, on, off. And it's just trying to save you some code because you're a programmer. You can write a for loop that turns the port on, sleep for a millisecond, turn the port off, sleep for a millisecond, turn the port on. You can write that loop. No problem. Mm -hmm. But maybe you don't feel like writing that loop. Or maybe you're trying to do something that is so high frequency that the speed of the programming language is actually starting to get in your way. You hope, Hopefully you're never in that situation. But, you know, sometimes with digital communications, you get into that. Uh, usually it's communications when you run into these kinds of things. And so you use a piece of hardware called a PWM. It's called pulse width modulation. The pulse mm. just means it's square wave. The width... And then you can modulate the width, meaning you can change the width. So you can change how long it's on versus how long it's off. We sometimes call that duty cycle. Mm. Now, why is that all interesting? Because if you think about what we said with the LED, I said that you can control the brightness of the LED by changing that resistor. Mm -hmm. Well, you may want to change that L- the brightness of the LED without physically changing a resistor. You want to do it with code. And the way you do that is actually tricky. You don't ever dim the LED. You just turn it on and off at different rates. So you just have it on for a shorter amount of time or whatever, longer amount of time than it's off or a shorter amount of time than it's off. And that'll give you a dimming ability to go from zero brightness to as bright as it can get, always on. So it's just a tricky way to do dimming of an LED and other things like motor control and, yeah, LEDs and motor control. That's what you're going to use it for mostly. <laughs> so when you're con- increasing or decreasing the brightness, it's it's, it's still sending the 3.3 volts? It's not sending like yeah. less than? It's just a human perception thing. If you have a high-speed camera, you'll see it's actually turning on and off. But we live with this all day, every day. All your light bulbs in your house are flickering at 60 hertz. It's just our brains are too slow to register it. Our eyes are too slow to register it. So as long as you flicker that LED at over 100 hertz, no one's going to perceive it. You would need a high-speed camera in order to detect it. That's the world. The world's an illusion. It's just a bunch of electrical engineers playing tricks on you. Never forget that. Is this why when sometimes you take your phone out and you point it, the camera at like a television or a like a desktop display, you see the lines like move yes. through it? 100%. That's called temporal aliasing. And you can actually study that by studying uh, the interference of the two frequencies. You're measuring frequency and the frequency that, I mean, you're, you're, you're recording frequency and the frequency that you're measuring. Uh, those two can interfere with each other they can be resonant with each other there's all sorts of fun things you can get with a aliasing a lot of times you'll see this on a tv it's uh the moray effect 
is a, a, an example of this kind of frequency and temporal aliasing. All sorts of fun things, yeah. So <laughs> the world's a lie. Never forget. <laughs> and I just want to remind everyone that I gave Frank the ultimate holiday gift, the gift of electrical engineering for the podcast this week. <laughs> Thank you, James. Uh, when you said you had a podcast idea, I was so happy because honestly, I've been in vacation mode. I'm really good at vacation. I'm good at forgetting everything. <laughs> and so I was so happy. Uh, this was so much fun to do Crash Course Electrical Engineering. Yeah, I, I honestly want to thank you because some people may be listening to this and I'm saying like, wow, James, like you sound like an idiot asking these questions. But I don't, I don't think so because I, I think I knew an answer or had known about some of these things um, just through how I learned about electricity in school and learn about, you know, grounding, but not in, in the, in a tiny little board that I just tried to program. Like I didn't, when you put it all the things together and understanding circuits and understanding the controller and understanding the ohms and the resistors and the breadboard, you kind of need to know a little bit about all of this to understand like, why did I put this cable to this cable and why did that thing work? So I want to thank you, Frank, for actually taking a step back to explain these probably kind of ridiculously easy questions, but it sounded like a lot of fun to you questions. Oh, it is. It is. It's always a challenge. Like, can you explain something? Uh, I, I, I have this great failure rate with my dad where I like to explain esoteric mathematical concepts to him. And yet I fail at my explanation pretty much every time. <laughs> and so I do like to measure myself on how well I can explain something. So I, I hope I did an okay job. I, I personally really enjoyed this because, man, I can talk about circuits all day long. So I'm glad that you're getting into it so we can chit chat about it. Yeah, it, it was it was fun. And I think that it'll be even more fun now that I know why it worked and more importantly, why it didn't work. I think that's also very, very important. So thank you, Frank, so much. Uh, well, we have a lot more to talk about um, in the new year. So I'm excited for a brand new year. We'll be back next week, 2020, Frank. It's happening. A brand new year, a brand new podcast. And my brand new podcast, it's the same old podcast that you know and love. <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for this year. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.